0: Good evening and welcome to Pop Culture Double Date. Uh, this evening we are talking. Well, look, this evening we're doing something different, right? We, as a group, Gerald, Anager, Mags, and I, say hello everyone. Hi. Um, we were basically getting a little bit sick of watching new movies that were coming out or new TV shows that were coming out and just being consistently disappointed. So we decided we would dig out some stuff that we actually liked in the past and watch that instead. So tonight we are going to be podcasting about um, something that I think all of us generally quite enjoy which is uh, the Harry Potter series. Well we will be podcasting about the every film in the harry potter series hopefully but we're going to start with the first film harry potter and the philosopher's stone which was let me just check when was this film made harry Potter.
1: 2001 so it's 21 years old well 20 20 years old
0: 20 years old yeah gerald and i fresh out of high school that's that's when this film came out Pretty close, close, one or two years.
1: Release date: 29 November 2001.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's been a long time, almost a lifetime since. (laughs) um, So, yeah, but look, I mean, I think as a group we generally quite like Harry Potter, so I thought, you know, as with all things, we'll start from the beginning, um, see how this film has aged, essentially, right, whether we still really enjoy it, whether we still really enjoy the Potter films or not. So, um, as usual, this is a full spoilers podcast. I mean, this is a 20, almost 21-year-old film at this point. So, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've seen Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. (laughs) This
1: this movie's almost old enough to be able to
0: drink. (laughs) So, yeah. So, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast. Um, So, I'm going to kick it around the table. What did everyone think of this most recent viewing of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Year one, like, when Harry first learns that he's a wizard. Anja, why, why don't you kick us off?
2: Sure. Um, I think it's a, except for the CGI, which has aged poorly, I think the movie has aged really well. Um, I still think it holds up beautifully. I love how magical it is. I love the world building. Um, You know, every aspect of it contributes to setting a scene, you know, like calling it Privet Drive to indicate how, like, hidden away and how, you know, sort of removed from everything, like Harry's uh, um, aunt and uncle are, calling it little whinging to just give it that sense of, you know, this sort of whingy little town. Um, Everything about it, I think, just sets sets the stage um you know the the cinematography the colors the the darkness of, of london versus you know the magic of um you know once you get to the train station and they they go off into the country and the sweeping landscapes and the castles just it's very beautiful um you know the villains are so villainous which i love uh, look they are mostly very like they're like caricatures you know um mm. uh, harry's uncle snape um the 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 cat is it finch the caretaker at um, um even even uh Lucius and his son Draco they' are very- they're caricature like but um, I think they're meant to be you know it's kind of part of the fun and the 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 children's story side of it that we can embrace, and some of those caricatures will end up having uh complexity and depth, like the important ones will, and so some of them won't, and that's okay um yeah, no, I love it i love the the friendship the the just seeing these these like children. Sort of um, just learn about this world of magic and what they can do, and you know how like how in awe they are of everything they see and learn. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, all right. Who wants to shoot next? I I, I agree with everything that I just said. I I think these are like really. I mean. <laughs> Magical in inverted commas films, right? I don't know how dumb that sounds, but yeah. Who, who wants to Who wants to shoot next, Mags? Yeah, I'll go
3: next. Um, I I love this movie. I think it's a really charming, classic children's fairy tale style of story. And I remember the first time I saw the film in the cinema years ago. And the lights went down, the iconic theme music came on that we've come to know and love. It's the Harry Potter theme music. And I remember the crowd in the cinema applauding and weeping with excitement. And when I think about the series and I think about the films, that's what I think about. Um, I saw the film first, then started reading the books. And after watching that, um, The Philosopher's Stone that first time, I ran out to the shops and bought all the books and was completely hooked. Um, so with this movie, I think it, I completely agree with everything Anna just said. Um, I still think the casting was spot on, even from that young age, which is pretty amazing when you think about um, the how long the series took to make and how those characters aged together and that the actors aged together as well. That chemistry and the dynamic between all of those child actors and the adult actors as well just matured with time. But I suppose we'll get to that later. Um, I thought the acting, you know, they're kids, so um, there's going to be a little bit of overacting here and there, and I think the use of significant looks to convey emotion and to move plots along, that was quite um, quite regular in the movie, which I thought on reflection, watching it again, I hadn't noticed before. So it's a bit of, you know, melodramatic acting, but that's to be expected, I think, for child actors. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think as you get to know the characters, and then watching it, knowing that there's this promise that you're going to grow with them and and watch them grow, it's quite lovely. So all in the all, really enjoyed it.
0: Okay, look, what do I shoot next? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I think I think this is a pretty charming film, right? Like on on the rewatch, things that I kind of noticed was one, um, I think. Like, Mags is really onto something about the music because, I guess, a lot of the plot of this film, um, you know, the way the plot kind of fits together, the wa- way the characters are drawn, a lot of those are kind of elements that J.K. Rowling kind of put into the books, right? So, a lot of that isn't, like, you know, the filmmaker needs to obviously sort of change it into a good screenplay and that sort of thing, but a lot of the basic building blocks are there, right? Right. But I think really, like, the, the like for me, the thing that really... Like, these films are visually and, like, musically, and, like, all these pieces kind of click together with these films, right? Because we've seen a lot of book adaptations that don't quite work, right? But here, it's kind of got... You've got this really solid book foundation. And the filmmakers kind of get it, right? Like it feels like they really get this universe and so visually and then the music that they add to it right it's like it all kind of just clicks together right it all kind of makes sense and i think what mags was saying like that harry potter music like i, I half on the music because even now right whenever like someone talks to me or says harry potter to me one of the first things that pops into my, my mind is that Harry Potter theme song, right, that sort of, like, sort of the whimsical but slightly magical, like, sort of, da-da-da, da-da-da, like, that that's sort of a little jingle, that's, like, beautifully conceived, right, and fits that sort of, the book really perfectly, so, um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, there are a lot of adaptations that don't quite work, and for all, look, I don't think that Philosopher's Stone is a perfect film, I think there are definitely flaws with it, Um but I think it got the broad strokes absolutely right, and that was really what it set out to do, right? And it set the foundations for this film series going forward really, really, really well. Um, I, I think the things that have, have occurred to me um, with age around this film is, one, it's quite a long film, two 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 and a half hours, and from a film structure perspective, I definitely feel like it's, it's like a pretty, pretty faithful adaptation of the book, right? So I, I think a lot of films have a sort of truncated three-act structure where it's kind of just like beginning, middle, end and kind of we we'll call it a day, right? A lot of the superhero films like Star Wars, that sort of thing, like, it follows that sort of structure, right? This film doesn't really follow that structure. It kind of, maybe, but, like, this film basically follows the structure of a school year. Right, like it's kind of like Harry before he goes to school, and then like there are all these. It's kind of like the seasons of the the terms of the school year, and I mean I know like I mean it's pretty cleverly done because within this sort of structure of the school year, there's this mystery of the Philosopher's Stone that is weaved throughout the entire film from the you know very moment that Harry learns that he's a wizard. That Philosopher's Stone story starts like playing kind of in the background, right? But I mean the structure of this film is basically part of it is to tell this story of, like, the Philosopher's Stone, how, you know, um, Dumbledore takes it out of the vault to protect it at um, Hogwarts, and how, you know, uh, Voldemort or um, Professor Quirrell basically tries to steal it, right? I mean, so that is really what this film is kind of about. But the other really big thing this film is really about is that sort of building of what it's like to be at Hogwarts what a school year kind of is like at Hogwarts right so it kind of has that dual purpose um, which makes it quite long for a film and I, I think um, like I think on the reviewing I, I, I definitely felt there were some scenes that probably dragged on a little bit but look I, I fully understand why um, why they did that um, it's
2: like, you're totally right. Um, I didn't really think about it before, but you're right. It takes the structure of a school year because there isn't actually much plot, right? Like, they go to school, they hear about a stone, they find the stone, it ends, right? And then yeah. They don't, that doesn't happen right at the end.
0: Yeah. Know? And it's so, kind of like, as they get better, like as, it, as they learn magic throughout the school year, that allows them to unlock the mystery further. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Cause, like... Cause is actually
2: about world building. It's yeah. about building the rules of this magical world. It's about introducing yeah. some of the characters um and just just starting things. It's not really about the story. And one of the things I said to Jo while watching it is, I don't understand why the philosopher's Stone never comes back into the picture. like it never it never does anything in any of the later books.
0: Don't, he and destroys it,'t it? Like, does it?
2: I guess he does. He, I guess he destroys it. But for something that is like the whole like namesake and point of the first book, uh, so he found it and then he destroyed it, and that's all. <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't even significant in like banishing Voldemort from the first book. That um, so there's that. And the second thing is the guy who makes the philosopher's stone. What's his name?
0: Um, Nicholas Flamel.
2: Nicholas, for, we don't. I'm <coughs> sorry, we don't even meet him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he um, dies off screen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like the philosopher's stone is just a what's the word for when you something is just a, a, a. It's a MacGuffin. It's a MacGuffin
3: for just setting up the world and introducing the characters.
0: Correct. So
3: what yeah, does, What does Harry hold? You know, in the, in that I know we're we're going right to the end now. Sorry. Um, you know, in the last that one of the last scenes in the Deathly Hallows, where he meets Voldemort.
0: Yeah, and he, he doesn't. I... I don't think what is he. That? I don't think he has the philosopher's stone there. I, I can't remember. Resurrection we'll, 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 stone? Yeah. It's, that's
2: the resurrection stone. Oh, a different stone. Yeah, My different brain. stone. Different stone that has n- nothing to do with anything. It's just there at the end. It's one of the halos. It's not the <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> like it would make sense if it was the Like why? Why couldn't that be? Yeah. The circle part of the hallows. Why couldn't it be the philosopher's stone? That would have made so much more sense. I, I can't it's... even.
0: I can't even remember. I don't even <laughs> remember. The, we'll get to it when we get to the Deathly Hallows. We digress. Yeah. <sighs> um. Yeah, and then like I think other things. Look, I mean, did it like other things? Right. That how how did it age in terms of other things? Right. Like I think yeah, definitely there were bits about the acting that were um, a bit off. There's one scene in particular when Harry is confronting Malfoy. Um, you know, they're learning how to ride broomsticks, and um, what's his face? Um, sorry, the guy with the the memory orb. Oh, Neville. Neville. Yeah. Level like Malfoy bullies Neville and takes his. Uh, well, Neville knocks himself out actually, and Malfoy takes the the memory orb. And then there's a piece of interaction between Malfoy and Harry, and I can't remember exactly what they say, but the acting is real bad. Right? It feels like.
2: Malfoy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love Malfoy, and to this, st- like, I mean, I love how Malfoy. Look, I, I think the guy who does Malfoy isn't too bad, right? Because I love how he spits the Potter he's Potter. he's always like Potter like he spits it out right i love how he does that <laughs> um but like yeah the, the, there's really like aspects of the acting that are that are kind of a little bit off but look gen- and you know Anja, you mentioned the special effects like yeah i think it's very obvious when the special effects kick in and they kind of replace the actors um but you know, they're not so bad that it's unwatchable, right? Like I, I think it's, it's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. So yeah, so generally I, I think it's it's like a it's definitely an, an amazing kids film. Um it's a pretty it's a very good world building film. Um and I think it's it's one of these films that is able to capture the book. Quite faithfully, right? And add to the book, right? Because if I think about the first Harry Potter book, the thing that it reminded me of, and I think the reason why it's so endearing is that um, there is an element of Roald Dahl in it, right? Like, you know, like with the whole, you know, Private Drive, or was it Private Drive or Private Late? Like, you know, like with his like, auntie and uncle and all that, that initial scene, it feels like kind of a roll Dahl novel, right? There's an element of Matilda, there's an el- element of, like, the Twits and that sort of thing, right? You know, that, a little bit of dark humour and that sort of thing, sort of classic British children's stories, right? And then it kind of goes to that next level. Like, instead of just being this little self-contained story, it starts doing all this sort of world-building, right? So, you know, as a story, I, I think it's it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid um, kid story and, like, pretty engaging for adults as well. So, yeah. Jerry, sorry. Would you like to shoot?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm probably uh, the one of the four of us who has the least familiarity and investment in the Harry Potter world. I've, I've not read any of the books, and truth be told, when I when the movie series came out, the first one I actually watched was Order of the Phoenix. So you can imagine that um, it was all my first encounter with Harry Potter was like really, really confusing. Yeah, <laughs> but watching the first one, and this might be my, this is my third viewing of this film. I think um, of all the elements that uh, make it a triumph, I've got to say it's probably, and I can't believe I'm saying this because uh, some of the acting is a bit rough, it's it's the casting. O- on one level you've got a lot of um, you know, famous British actors, uh Contributing uh, to this movie, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall, Richard Harris as the as the first Dumbledore, Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid, um, and of course Alan Rickman as Snape. I mean, this the, having those names attached to something like this would would make it a prestige project. But this was also a decade long project. I mean, Definitely Hallows came out ten years later in t- t- two thousand eleven, so they needed to get the child casting. Absolutely right. And while the acting was a bit rough in this movie, I mean for the life of me, I just sat through parts of it asking myself what it is they saw in Emma Watson at the time that, that she should be Hermione because like she just couldn't act at this point. Um, the fact of the matter is they, 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 these act these child actors came ultimately to inhabit their roles really well. Uh, even even Emma Watson, um, and like it's easy to make fun of, say Rupert Grint, who only seems to have had two expressions on his face throughout the entire run of the movies, uh, confused and scared. That's <laughs> that's all that that's all that Ron Weasley seemed to be good for. Um, it's easy to make fun of that, but I think ultimately, as as the movies progress, um, and maybe it's a function of them having spent all this time with each other, not only. On set, but in rehearsal, and getting accustomed to each other over time. But as the movies progressed, uh, you, you got the sense that these were really lived-in friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be to watch the to watch them to watch them all together at the inception of this project uh, is is to be reminded of you know sort of like the experience of uh, meeting you know your some of your lifelong friends for the very first time when you were children Mm. and there's something really powerful about it's a powerful memory because um those lifelong friendships are a very big part of the structure of everyone's life Mm. and to be reminded of those very first encounters Mm. um it's it's actually quite a powerful and poignant thing to experience and all the more so on a rewatch because you know you you you, you know the end of the story. You know what um, these people become to each other, and to see them in their initial um, setting, and well, you know Hermione as the annoying know-it-all, uh, Weasley as well. I mean, Weasley would always stay, confused. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, Potter Harry is slightly sort of. I mean. Harry is this sort of—he's—he's he's such an innocent in this movie. When we see, by the end of the, by by say Order of the Phoenix, um, Harry has been through so much and lost so much. He's not just lost his parents; he will end up losing, um, you know, Sirius Black. He'll end up losing uh, Robert Pattinson, um, <laughs> and, and 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 he will he will he will bear so many emotional scars by the end of this franchise that um, there are parts of both the first and second parts of Deathly Hallows in which he seemed it seems as if the burden of being kind of the chosen one is too much for him but he's such an innocent in this film and to see and so to, to know what he becomes but to see him as he is to know what he becomes um, and, and go back to see how he started is really quite poignant yeah. Uh, so I think there's something so th- there's not just charm in this movie but if you know how dark the series becomes there's something you know sort of really pointed about that it, it, you know the poignancy is probably heightened by the fact that this was like Richard Harris's last or second last movie uh, before he died and needed to be replaced by Michael Gambon as as um, as Dumbledore so you know y- y- you are you are at the start of this journey, which will test all these characters and inflict big losses on them, and that is an experience that I think, despite all despite all the flaws in the movie, has a certain you know make, makes you, you know, causes you your throat to catch up a little because you know what's coming, and this moment of innocence before uh, that all goes. Before the world all goes pear-shaped, is something that feels really, I don't know, fragile, mm, mm, and mm. that I think adds to the adds to the power of the movie in a way that it probably wasn't powerful when it first came out.
2: Mm, Can I mm. interrupt on that point? Yeah. Um, well, actually, the same point that you guys have all been making about the child actors—they are great. Um, you know, individually they're all very charismatic, and together they work well. But I think. You know how, like, Mags was saying they overact? And it's true, they all overact. But I think it comes off as an earnestness. Yes. Which actually works really well in the context of this movie about wizards and witches and this magical role doll or in a black kind of world. So, um I think maybe that's why it's still adding. It's it adds to the joy of the movie instead of detracts from it. But then to this point that Gerald makes about um, the character of Harry, I've got to say like I, I wonder if you've, if um you know we'll let Gerald finish first. But I wonder if you and Mags um, thought the same way of seeing him as an innocent because the primary kind of, like, feeling I get from Harry is actually not so much his innocence but how sad he is. Like, it's a a, a profound sadness. Like, um, that scene where he's sitting in front of the mirror of Araset and he sees his parents and he's just kind of sitting there and, you know, because he misses them and he's been living under a cupboard with his aunt and uncle who hate him for all his life and he hasn't been lied to about his parents and he hasn't been part of this whole world and to me he doesn't seem like a light, innocent kind of at this stage. He seems like deeply sad and weighty. Um and as the movies go on, that sadness and the weight um just increase, you know, the gravity of it does, you know, increase with time. But I don't know, he's never he's never seemed anything but like that to me.
1: Mm. Mags. That, that's that's look that's that's probably that's probably right. But I think in, in the context of this movie, because he's 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 made new friends in a way that he's never had before, I- in the form of Hermione and Ron. Um, there's a there's a there's a sense of whilst he does carry about him a lot of sadness, his his introduction to the world of wizards and Hogwarts mm, yes comes with it comes with a sense of wonder. And that sense of wonder um, kind of diminishes over the course of the films such that all he feels is the burden of being um, the one who has this strange and mysterious connection with Voldemort and has to um, carry the fight to uh, he who who shall not be named.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I want to... Sorry, sorry, Jerry. I'm just going to... I I 100% agree with that, right? Like... I think, like, there is a certain lightness to Harry's character in this. One, because, I mean, he's he's obviously younger, but I think that lightness is driven by the fact that it's that sense of wonder, right? Because, you know, in the same way that he's never seen, like, Diagon Alley and, you know, all of this crazy wizarding stuff, right? Like, one thing that Daniel Radcliffe is very good at is that he's able... Like, he's got... When he smiles in this film, right? And it's like... I I mean he's not seeing any of this I imagine right (laughs) because it's all in CG but he's able to convey this sense of oh my god this is amazing right that really is conveyed through the way he acts so yes absolutely right there is obviously a deep melancholy in, in Harry as a character but in this film in particular that is offset by this like sort of sheer sense of like wonder that Radcliffe is able to portray through his smile and his eyes essentially um Yeah, and I I might actually also add that I'm I'm really interested that, like, Jerry reckons that Hermione, um, Emma Watson, was a horrible actor in this. Like, I don't think she's a great actor, but she really is... I think Hermione is meant to be a little bit annoying in this film, and she's really annoying. (laughs) So, (laughs) to that extent, I think she... Kind of is successful successfully doing that. I don't know.
2: Anyway, oh, She's got a really tough role. She has to be annoying and likable. She has to be the know-it-all, but we have to like her. So it's actually really tough.
1: <laughs> no, 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 I agree. It is. It is. A, it is. It is. A, it is a tough role. I think that there are moments when she she does lay it lay it on a bit thick, but that's because you know she's 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 a kid, and you know she's not. Yeah, you know, she she's still. A, a raw talent at, the, at this phase in her career, um, and she too will eventually uh, become kind of a kind of um, a haunted person in, in in this in this film series because um, she has to she has to say farewell to her parents and make them forget that she ever existed in um, in the first of the Deathly Hallows movies, and that's a that's an amazing that's an amazing thing to have to give up um perhaps the the, the floor in her arc is that we never we never know her parents mm. we know she's muggle born but we don't know her parents and we don't know the extent or the or the depth of her connection with them such that even though in the abstract the idea of her erasing herself from their lives is a tremendously sad one mm. um it is perhaps a little less powerful than if we had known her parents if we had seen um how she interacted with them um, and but that i mean th- 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 this too is 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 another example i think of how the movie introduces uh, these characters at a stage of um, if not complete carefreeness and innocence they're at least unburdened in the way in a way that they won't be by the time uh, this film franchise draws to a close so Hermione is, you know, an annoying know-it-all, um, and more than happy to brandish just how clever she is. But by the end of the by the end of these movies, she'll see the limits of that, and um, she'll be forced to sacrifice a lot, just as Harry does, and be haunted as well. So again, that that knowing what is in the offing for these characters, I think makes <laughs> makes the, this movie all the more. Poignant. Mm. At the risk of repeating myself.
0: Yeah. Well, look. I mean, and actually, like when I reflect on it, I I think one of the things that I think works well well in this film is that, like, I mean, at the heart of this film, right? Like, to basically get to the Philosopher's Stone, they have this the moment where the three main characters each have to step up at some point, right? So, I, I guess like out of the like out you know when they first meet hermione doesn't really get along with ron and harry right but it's kind of like through this experience and like through the experiences they kind of start to value each other for their diversity right like i mean this is this is a film that in some ways does diversity right because like it's like a diversity of skills almost right like so they start recognizing that they each have kind of different strengths and that these like it's these strengths are kind of valid right like hermione is you know very academic you know really learns spells like you know learns how to do spells by the book Right, you know, Harry is, you know, intrepid, he's very, like, sporty, right, he does the, like, the whole broom riding thing, like, he has to, like, in order to get the keys at the end, and then Ron, I guess, plays chess. <laughs> but, like, you know, they they each kind of have their moment in the sun, right, so I thought that was, like, quite nice, right, like, in a film that is essentially about um, the bonding of these characters and, you know, the the establishment of their friendship, I thought that was Pretty well done, and I think the other it's thing that I kind think of
2: weird though, right? That that because, like, for example, take take Ron's role. He he plays chess.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I guess he's clever, maybe. I don't
2: know. <laughs> you see, when you think of chess, you think clever, but that's Hermione. Ron <laughs> has never been accused of being clever.
0: So. Well, I, I think it's Ron's courage, right? But look, I mean, that chess scene is probably the weirdest one because it's kind of like. It's Ron's courage, because he Ron's plays courage. the... Yeah, well, because he's sitting on the night when they're playing the wizard battle yeah. chess, right? So he's putting he's himself... He's
2: courageous. He's courageous during chess. But that's not an aspect of his character. He's the <laughs> biggest scaredy cat I've ever yeah. come
0: across. But, okay, the other thing for me that was weird about Ron, that, that scene was that when did they say that he had to ride the horse? <laughs> like... Like self-inflicted in some I'm ways.
2: Saying, right? Get off the horse, right? You don't have to ride it. Just, just,
0: just play the, the game.
1: Because right? yeah, it takes ages for the queen to get up to catch the horse, right? Yeah. Like, and it's like that scene in in Austin Powers where you know that guy is far away from the steamroller and 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 just. Keeps on shouting no as this really slow steamroller comes up to him and flattens him. Eventually, it's a bit—it's reminiscent of that scene.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing that suggests that they have to be riding these pieces in order to pass. Like nothing about that game suggests that. But anyway, doesn't matter, right? Like, um, look—the other thing that I really liked about this film, um, on in hindsight, is kind of like. I think it's like its core sort of message is like quite heartwarming, right? Like, I mean, there's this bit right at the end when you know Harry has quite like a horrific confrontation with Professor Quirrell, um, like when Quirrell reveals himself, like takes the headscarf off, and like there's Voldemort's head on the back. Like, even as an adult, I'm like, that's that's pretty. It's it's pretty scary, right? I imagine as a kid, it would have been like super scary, right? But you know, within that scene, there's a there's a like Voldemort says so, says something that really reveals kind of who he is, and it's it kind of is consistent. Like it's consistent throughout the the books and the films, kind of like Voldemort's worldview, which he like reveals here, which is that he says, "There's no good and evil. There's only power." Right? And Harry, it, it, so all of a, like like those sort of the thematic, the sort of the thematic lines are kind of drawn there, right? Because it's kind of like Harry and his friends believe, you know, there is good and evil. It's not just about who's in power. It's not just about, like, you know, who can get on the top of the pile and oppress other people, right? You know, there are sort of, like, you know, good and evil exist, right? Like, our actions actually do matter. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was, that was, like, a really nice, like, you know, in this sort of, more in it, like, I say innocent in inverted commas, even though, like, it was kind of life and death at the end there of this film. But, like, in this sort of less sort of grandiose sort of battle, those sort of thematic lines are still set down that carry on throughout the entirety of this um, film series. So I I thought that was... I, I really liked that. And, to be honest, I really liked it as well, because, like... Nowadays, with films, everyone tries to, like, subvert expectations and, like, you know, like, it's rare now to see a film with, like, such, sort of, I guess, I I don't know how to say, like, just, like, old school values, I guess, maybe? But, like, they work. I mean, those things work because they resonate with the audience. Right. So you
2: see that you see that at the beginning with the sorting hat. I love the sorting hat, um, where the, the hat tells Harry, you know, I'll put, I can put you in Slytherin. You'll be great. That's the path to greatness. And Harry kind of rejects like that power and the greatness and the glory because he wants to because he's noticed that Slytherin are, are the ones that they're kind of mean. They're the bully. Yeah, exactly. No, it's never gone bad. Hasn't been in Slytherin. So he'd rather just be good and yeah. have you know, and have good values than have greatness and glory. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, this is kind of what makes Harry such a compelling character, right? Because, like, this film establishes that, you know, he comes from such humble beginnings, right? Like, he's really downtrodden. Even though he gets bullied and, like, he's able to hold on to, like, that, like, you know, his values, essentially, right? Um, And it's kind of like it's implied that there's a, you know, it it is him, but there's also, like, the magical overlay that sort of adds onto that theme, because it's like his mum has imparted him, like, with this magical power of love, for lack of a better word, right? But, I mean, really, that is what it is, right? That's kind of what this film is about. So, um, yeah, I I thought it was, you know, it's, it's it's a child story, but, like, the layers are well thought out enough that it feels all like satisfyingly pieced together yeah Mags would you would you agree with that uh
3: yeah I don't really have anything further to add to be honest um the only thing I would say I guess is um I was just thinking about the ending when um they're all at the train station on their way um back to their homes and um Harry, I think he he's looking at Hagrid and at the school with this sense of optimism and hope because he's found his place, he's found his true home and that is I think what fuels him from that point onwards, like this sense of belonging um, that he didn't have with his um, with his muggle family at Privet Drive. So I think that sort of sets up then the rest of the, the movies and why he's so keen to get back to Hogwarts but also how um, attached he is to that world and why has such a drive as well to save it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna start. So, you know, we've gushed about the film. We're like, we all kind of enjoy this film and th- think it's a pretty great start to the series. So, were there any things on the rewatch that kind of made you like scratch your head? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to pick something up. Like, is Dumbledore supposed to be confident or incompetent? <laughs> because the rewatch on this film for me, I was like, these kids are constantly putting, being put in like really dangerous situations. And what the hell are the teachers doing? <laughs> right? <laughs> like I was thinking to myself, okay, so if you've got this philosophy story that you know is super dangerous, why should, why would you bring it to school? right and then you've had these incidents where there's a troll led into, like it, i was i was re-watching the scene in the girl's bathroom with the troll right so basically this troll gets into the school and hermione is crying in the girl's bathroom by herself and harry and ron kind of go to find her to tell her that the trolls on the loose to bring her back to the gryffindor common rooms but the trolls in the women's in the girl's bathroom right And I was like, okay, wow, when I was watching that scene, I'm like, there are multiple times that all of those kids could have been bashed, like just killed, essentially, right? (laughs) And then you're like, if that happened, you wouldn't, wouldn't you, as the headmaster, immediately put down way more security? Instead, he has this, like, almost whimsical set of security-like procedures around the Philosopher's Stone, and kids are just like, yeah, whatever, it will be fine, don't worry about it. Like, is it just me, or does he kind of not really take it as seriously as he should? Like, doesn't he have a duty of care to these kids?
1: Yeah, I mean, he um, he, he is. But he, he is. I think, as, as Richard Harris plays him, he, he seems just a bit more detached. I think Gambon plays him as more enigmatic. Yeah. Uh, Gambon plays him as someone who's enigmatic and knows exactly what's going on but is keeping everything to himself whereas Harris plays him as sort of detached and perhaps even slightly a little goofy um, and and maybe that's because that's I don't know whether his 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 character is that way uh, in the first book but he certainly he's certainly kind of different by the time Gambon gets his hands on the character so yeah he does he, he is he is a bit he is a bit kind of above everything, and like, even when, even in the final act of the film, he's just not there because he's left the
0: school. <laughs> yeah, and like, Voldemort's right there, right? Yeah. He's literally right there. You would think that if you're serious about stopping this guy. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> I found it really weird. For me, that was a big disconnect, it's like, it's
2: like... The plot. It's the, <laughs> it's the problem with the plot in this whole movie, and and the, the whole... Okay, the movie doesn't need the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone's been put there to give it a semblance of plot, but then nothing nothing really makes sense. Like why why has why has Dumbledore chosen to hide the stone by 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 putting a spell on it so that it can only be found? By someone who wants to find it but doesn't want to use it, that could be an any number of people. To first it's also Quirrell. He wants to find it, but he doesn't want to use it. He wants to give it to to Voldemort, who wants to use it. it doesn't make any sense? And if if, Vold- if um Dumbledore is the most powerful wizard ever, then surely he should just keep the stone in his own pocket.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right and you think about what's happened in the school year to to that point right because they go on that adventure into like to find the philosopher right at the end of the school year right you think about all of the life endangering incidents that have happened to students throughout the school year you wouldn't have, like, as the headmaster of this school, you wouldn't have been like, you know what, I, I think I need to, like, step in and do something pretty drastic here, because if I don't, someone's gonna get killed. <laughs>
2: right? He does his job eventually, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, it just takes, like, a few years for him to, like, start doing his job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, true. Oh, can we can we honourable mention to how amazing Snape is? He is so... Every time he comes on screen, he just kind of... You know, he, he whizzes past and his cloak is billowing in the wind and his dark hair and his eyes are, like, you know, switching from one place to another. And I just love it. Love it. Yeah. It, it, look, Rickman,
1: this is... This is this, I have to concede that this is Rickman's signature role, even though... Um, but for no. some people he'll be Hans Gruber. he's that. Hans Groover mate Snape is <laughs> ha- Snape is probably his his signature role and like the, the amazing thing about it is he's he's actually not in this movie very much
2: but he's so strong the presence is yeah, so he is, strong he is, he is very
1: memorable the way I mean you talk you talk Daz about the way that um, Draco Malfoy says Potter's name the way that the way that Snape says Mr. Potter is so disdainful <laughs> and so contempt I don't think I've ever heard anyone ever utter someone else's name with such contempt and disdain as Snape does Harry's Harry's name and we know there's a we eventually learn there's a reason for that um, he's he, but he's, he he does leave, he does make a very strong impression even though he's he's really barely in this movie um, and 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 he will gain in significance as as the as the series rolls on but um it, it is it is striking that you know that they cast Hans Gruber as they they, they cast Hans Gruber in this role cuz um at, at least in this movie it does seem like a sort of bit of a throwaway role but he does he, he does walk that line between um villain and hero um he's straight out while, villain while being while being completely well, seemingly he 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 seems like such a villain, yeah. but he strikes the odd heroic note because we learned that he was casting a protection spell during the the Quidditch game. So um, that element of ambiguity in his character, which will feature very heavily and which will ultimately resolve in favor of good in in a very very big way, is already there um, in this very first film, in this very first story. So um, as you know, the, we've been saying it over and over again: this thing really sets up the rest of the franchise very well. And I think the way Snape is portrayed um, is is just
0: another example of that. Okay, I must be the only one then. Because for me, okay, I what? found... Look, I, I really like Alan Rickman's performance, but I felt like I still... Like, to this day, whenever I see Snape... There's something weird with his costume or the wig or whatever it is. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit him for some reason, right? Like I don't know if it's because like they put on heaps of makeup for him so that he's like quite pale skinned. Something about Snape's like the way they put that costume together doesn't quite work for me, right? Vampy, very
2: vampy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, you know what it is? He looks a bit like Robert Smith from The Cure. Yeah, it's and. It, I guess it's also coupled with the fact that for me, Alan Rickman was Hans Gruber, right? So it feels feel like, like Hans Gruber in cosplay. Like <laughs> uh,
1: Hans, Hans, Hans Gruber was the baddie in the first Die Hard, and that was okay. like the Alan Rickman role before this, before the Harry Potter franchise. That's
2: not how I saw him. <laughs> I saw his role as Sense and Sensibility.
1: Oh anyway. I see. yes, um,
0: <laughs> okay.
3: the Colonel. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is. It is a great performance, though. Like you say, what you will about you know the the accoutrement of the character, the wig or the the cape, um, or the fact that he he looks like this weird goth or the lead singer of the Cure. Um, it is. It is a great performance. Uh, it is a consistently great performance throughout um, the film and, and throughout the film series. And given that. He's, he has to he has to keep you guessing as to which side he's on, for you know x number of movies. Um, he carries quite a burden on his shoulders for the purposes of the narrative of these movies. So um, he's he's kind of he's kind of deeply integral to um, the major twists and turns. Look um, to his credit,
0: he he doesn't phone it in, right? Like you would like major actors would potentially get, you know. In this film, as you said, Jerry, it's not, like, a major, major role, but, you know, as a big actor, you could potentially get a role like this and kind of, like... We've seen it. Like, how many recent films have we seen it where, like, big actors get roles and they're just, like, complete... We watched it with Fast Nine and Charlize Theron, right? You know, they just thrown it in. And to his credit, I don't think... Look, I mean, as much as I have an issue with the costume and that, like, he doesn't phone it in, right? Like, yeah. I actually think he actively enjoys it. The, like, there's this relish that you get from his performance, and it's like, hmm, I can kind of, like, do something different and fun here, right? And he kind of leans into it, which I, which I really like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, he totally doesn't phone it in. Compare him to um, Kenneth Branagh in either the next or the, or the third movie. I mean... Talking, I mean, Kenneth Branagh does kind of phone it in because he just sort of relies on his on his natural sort of dickheadery.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> no,
1: I thought no one phones it in, in this in this entire
0: <laughs> look. Yeah, look, I, we'll we'll talk about Gilderoy Lockhart when we get to Gilderoy Lockhart, right? Um, but yeah, um, okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of philosoph- Philosopher's Stone before we move on to? Chamber of Secrets.
2: Just that it really, really makes me want to go to boarding school, and apparently had the same effect <laughs> on a lot of children. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Parents all over the world were like, "Yes, yeah. amazing! Yeah. Get them out of yeah. the house."
1: Definitely did not have that effect on me, but uh, <laughs> that's because that's because I've read too much Roald Dahl as a as a as a child and knew <laughs> the absolute horrors of boarding school.
0: Can I can I ask just out of interest? Right, did you guys go to schools with this sort of? Like tradition, so you know, yeah. like one of the things with Hogwarts is that you know you've got like houses and like. Oh, yeah, um...
2: we went to the same school, and it's the most Hogwartsy of, I'm sure. Look, Mag, Mags, and I, Sydney Girls High. No, it had a bit, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at Kram, yeah. we had a little bit of that. We had we had a little bit of that. I, I think that there is an element that kind of, like... You know, because... Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it didn't... I guess it, it didn't really make me want to go back to boarding... School. It didn't make... Not back to boarding school. It didn't make me want to go to boarding school. And I wonder if it's because, like... um, That level of romance... I, I wasn't a romantic about that whole English boarding school vibe, potentially. Um... Yeah. look I, mean, I
1: think I think the movie presents um hogwarts so enchantingly right it's a beautiful it's a physically beautiful space the the um the sets they they deployed in conjuring uh Hogwarts were impeccably designed I mean you know even if the film at points uh looked rough in terms of special effects as um a feat of production design was an absolute triumph Mm. and the main dining hall of hogwarts is a a space that even if you have no inclination whatsoever uh to want to go back to boarding school even if you see no romance whatsoever in the in the notion of the english boarding school system that is such a beautifully conjured up space um that the movie does i think uh, or wrap um, the idea of being at a boarding school surrounded in one's peers being part of a house system in a, in a, in a certain level of romance. Um, now, Daz, you and I sort of, I mean, it's not as if we went to a school that was like Hogwarts, mm. um, but, you know, we certainly had a house system that... Uh, not
0: like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <charm> of. Uh, <laughs> Like that. We, didn't, we sure as hell didn't have a sorting hat, for instance, um, and you know. So we 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 you know, we kind of know that there, that there's a that that you know there's no charm about the way a school like that runs. But the the illusion the illusion that the film conjures up of this um, the, the, the 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 romance of um, being uh, inducted within this. Um, really ancient tradition. Uh, look, look, that's 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 done with great skill. Mm. Um, to the point where you know it is. It does sort of. It does sort of you know draw you in, particularly as each of these movies um, develops and we learn more about the school and what it's what what's hidden within it, its history and so on. So. Look, you know, I can't say that this this movie made me want to go, made me want to, go to a boarding school, but I can't deny that um, it certainly effectively conveys the, the idea of um, the romance of boarding school quite vividly.
0: Mm. Very well put, Gerald. Very well put. Okay. Is there anything else? I, I think we're done discussing Philosoph- Philosopher's Stone for now, right? I don't yeah. think... Yeah. Okay, so um, basically we will continue to watch the Harry Potter series um, and we'll work our way systematically through these films so hopefully next time we'll we'll, actually I don't know what we'll talk about next time we'll have a little discuss offline but we will definitely be back to talk about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone great film Um, I think it's called Sorcerer's Stone in the US for some reason but You know, it's a great film. Definitely watch Harry Potter if you haven't seen it. Um, Definitely stands up to the test of time. Thanks, everyone, for joining me tonight. And um, say bye, everyone, and we'll see everyone soon. Bye. Bye.